Blog Talk Radio. Far out. Well, this is Wednesday Wins. I'm going to read something to you because I want to tee up this show today. The year is 2020, and life is very odd. Off a few notches from that which we have all known, there is a pervasive uncertainty that has given rise to an epidemic of fear, causing all sorts of negative outcomes. However, when this duo comes together, life with smiles and hearts filled with love and minds that are clear about healthfulness break through, break through the gloom and invite a pivot in perspective and productive actions. There is a call here for a campaign to end fear and instill faith tangibly and otherwise. Friends, this is your host, Dr. Deb Carlin, and this is Blog Talk Radio, and this is also the K Factor, where K equals kindness, and the factors are all the things that lead to it. And today, Wednesday, is a show that I've entitled Wednesday Wins, and there's nobody better to come in and talk to me and talk with me than my co-host and guest, Tori Ducart Eversman. Tori, I'm so glad you're here with me. Welcome and good morning. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. This is such an, an honor and I'm excited to have this conversation with you and maybe we can start to dig in to what I have been thinking about for several weeks, uh, my, my campaign to end beer porn uh, and, and let's Let's just go. I'm ready. I'm excited. I'm excited. You know, <clears throat> you and I have known each other for for years, and and known each other across the miles. And and here we are sitting in our Zoom room, <laughs> sharing our morning. Yeah, exactly. In the studio, sharing the Zoom room, um, sharing water, sharing our morning coffees, and and being in two different parts of the country and. And we, we talk and, and we have social media and connected and stayed connected. And it's interesting that you choose the term fear porn because it's so perfect. Pornography is something that is ugly, that people get hooked on. It's really sinful because it takes you into such a negative zone. And you and I are in complete alignment. We want an end to this horrible fear porn. So 2020 really is a, a, an odd circumstance for everyone in the world, but in particular, because we are here in America as American citizens, it's really weird for us. This isn't what we grew up for. And, and so when I, when I mentioned in that, in that intro that I wrote for us, um, we're doing a pivot. We're turning to the side. So Talk a little bit about who you are and what your life is like and, and, and what your experience is these days. Because I know you've got, got to love your life. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, so for the audience, uh, I am a former Army wife. I, I'm still married to the man who was in the Army, but he, he, we are no longer Army people. My husband was in the Army for 20 years, and uh, he was uh, – he was sent to combat two different times. Uh, the second time happened in 2006 and 2007 when the surge was happening in Iraq. And the thumbnail of my uh, 
experience with that was that I had no experience being an Army wife. I didn't speak mill-speak, which is, it it is a different language. It's English, but it still is a different language. You said mill-speak, short for military-speak? Yes. Okay, all right. See, I'm even using (laughs) mill-speak. Thanks a lot. Um, Yeah. Anytime I throw out any military term that doesn't doesn't make sense, just let me know. I will. And I was very afraid because I was hearing about what was going on in Iraq and Afghanistan. We were based up in uh, Fort Drum uh, outside of Watertown, New York. And at the time, our daughter was a little girl. Uh, when we first moved up there, she was about 18 months. And then Matt trained for a year, and uh, she was three when he left to go on a 12-month deployment to an area that CNN dubbed the Triangle of Death. Oh, my gosh. And you knew this as he was leaving? Oh, yeah. You know, Tori, I can't even imagine the fear factor for you at that time. But I'm envisioning that, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but knowing you and knowing you and Matt, the one of the tallest men that I've ever talked to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's tall. He's tall. Delightful. I, I, am, I, am, I am feeling, my perception is that it was hard, but this was your heroic husband who was leaving to go do something very heroic and God bless, he was going to return. And it wasn't the kind of fear factor. I mean, you were in a military installation. You were surrounded with people who were there to love and support you and, and share the experience, right? Okay. Yes. All right. So he's, Definitely. yeah. Go ahead. So he's leaving. Yeah. So he's leaving for what originally was going to be a 12-month appointment and ended up being 15 months. And so... I have never been more afraid, depressed, anxious in my entire life. And I was in my mid-30s with a little girl who I was raising. And all of the facets that go along with, you know, questioning your parenthood and who you are. And one of the greatest things that I ever learned from that experience was to face my fear. And again, just to, to give us a, a snapshot, because we could probably talk about this for hours, but very soon into the deployment, uh, math units started taking on casualties. And it was, I remember the first one happened. I was at the zoo with my daughter and some friends and their children. And the first, the first call that I got was ended up being about someone who had been shot in the shoulder. And at the time I was like, Oh my gosh, someone's, Someone's been shot in the shoulder. I never knew anyone who had been shot before. So at that time, like everything blew up for me. I was like, oh, yeah. This is really happening. And by the time the 15 months was over, I was like, I'll be shot in the shoulder. I'd be like, oh, they'll be fine. <laughs> and it's, 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 I think you're, I think our neuroscience works to protect us from what, like, what actually is threatening. You know, the the amygdala is like, the, as you know very well, like our, our fight or flight is, is, is there for a reason. And what I did, which I don't know why I did this. I guess it's just the way that my brain is wired. I decided that I was going to go down to Walter Reed and see 
the men um, who had worked with my husband and uh, the ones who had been wounded because I thought if I can go and see what it looks like, it being my fear, what could could happen, um, I thought that would that maybe that might help me. And so I went down to Walter Reed. I uh, very fortunately had some friends in Baltimore who said, come and stay with us. And we, so my friend uh, Mark Hoffberger drove me down. And those steps from the parking garage through the front doors of Walter Reed might as well have been a marathon for me because I, was, I had no idea what to expect and what to see. And when I walked in through the hospital doors, I, I, it all, again, like it all came into technicolor for me, seeing people who had been very severely wounded and amputations and it, it takes your breath away. But then as you, as you move through it, and then you, when I got to Ward 57, where uh, one of Matt's men, uh, his name, at the time he was a lieutenant, Lieutenant Scott Quilty, I went and visited him and it changed my life. And I can't explain it. The only other moment that I had that such a profound shift in my brain happened when our daughter was born. You have that. I I never thought I could love anyone as much as I love this child. Yeah. Right. Right. The same, the same epiphany, but in a different, in a different vein happened when I walked in to see Scott. And was he in really bad shape? And that was, Okay, so he was yeah, he was in big trouble, and yeah, you he, walk in. Yeah, he had stepped on an IED, which ended up causing his um, right leg and right arm to be amputated. And I went and sat down. I crossed the threshold of the room. His mom was there. <clears throat> I walked in, and I just went, and I sat down on the bed with him. And I put my hand on the top of his right by, which was still there, thankfully for him. Um, and I remember the nurse came in and she was like, you really shouldn't touch him because there's this bacteria in the sand in Iraq that is very contagious and you could get it. And I just remember looking at her, I was like, I, I'm, not, I'm not here about the bacteria. I'm here to see Scott. Right. And I, I, I'm like, and, and it, it just, it changed my life. And then, you know, he was so gracious with me visiting him and we just talked for a little bit, and then he had to leave. And then I went around and we visited other. We would visit. What other do you people. mean he had to leave? He had to go for treatments. Yeah, he had okay. to go get some physical therapy. So let me let me pause you for a little bit, okay? Okay. So when when you're describing this, you're talking about your husband is leaving for 12 months. He's gone for 15 months. Wasn't your husband in a, in a he was in a position of leadership, right? Correct. And and. Correct. Why, what happened with that three months? How was that elongated? And, and, and how were you getting information? Like you say that you got a call initially about somebody was shot in the shoulder. So for those of us who have not been involved with the military the way that you have, how does, how does that call come? Like, did your husband call you and say, by the way, here's what's going on? Or how do, how do you get that kind of information? Uh, no, so he was gone for 15 months, and in the, in, the, in the entire deployment of 15 months, we only spoke on the phone seven times. Wow. But, no, so they have something set up called a call chain. And, okay. And so that's how the information is disseminated. 
So somebody from the front lines calls somebody back in, in Washington who calls for a drum. And then, you know, just as you can imagine, it's like this sort of this triangle pyramid of, of calls that are made. And so I started to recognize that I wasn't I wasn't friends with the person who was my who was supposed to call me. So every time she called me, I knew she was calling with bad news. Oh, a lot of bad news, especially the first seven months. Um, so that's the answer. Yeah, we got calls, but it was th- it was through this call chain that we got the information. And I usually what would happen, unfortunately, is we knew ahead of time because they had something called a blackout. And when before Matt had left, one of the things we had agreed on was that he was going to email me every day because in uh, outside of Baghdad where they were in in the Triangle of Death. Um, I said, if you can just email me one word every day, like hi or good morning, I don't care what it is, so that when I get up, I know that you're okay for that day. Okay. And when I would wake up in the morning, the first thing I would do is I would check my computer, and if there wasn't an email from him, the next thing that I'd do was I would look out the window to see if the brown sedan was there that I affectionately ended up calling the trifecta, which was the chaplain, the rear D, and... Oh, uh, yeah, the notification squad. Yes, to see if they, okay. were, if they were waiting, because they, they wouldn't tell you when o'clock in the morning. So If something I, had happened. If something, if yeah, he had been right. killed, they wouldn't tell you in the middle of the night. They would, so those were my, that was my routine. I would check my email, oh my. and then if I didn't have an email, I would look out the window to see if they were there. And every time I left the house, I would round the corner and be like, is the brown sedan in my driveway telling me that Matt had been killed? Yeah. Oh, jeez. By the way, when I first started doing these shows, my engineer was Jameson Sweet, a Marine. And, and he had been in Somalia and he had, uh, uh, been gone into, uh, video and sound production. He was brilliant. He was my engineer on the show. And he was working on a documentary uh, about being part of that team. He was the one who would go and notify. Now, listen, here's a couple of things we have to make really clear. Our show and our time together is about breaking through this epidemic of, of fear. But in order to set it up and to tee it up for people, I'm I'm soliciting from you, eliciting from you this story, which is huge. And and, and I'm I'm asking you questions as though I don't know some of this story, and I do know some of the story. So you're in the middle of this and and you're finding out your strength. And by the way, everything that you're describing here is really building you into a position of the ultimate news, I I got chills in my body just by saying that, of what you had to face for how long? For days when Matt was completely out of touch and, and, you know, the huge story about what happened to him. And, and, and so that's kind of the center of our, of our dialogue is about the incredible, unbelievable things that we can go through, friends. I mean, everyone in our audience, there is so much that we can go through, and we don't even know we're going through it. We're right in the middle of it. But for Tori and I, we want you to understand her story because the strength that she and I get from one another, we're going to have spill over onto you every Wednesday. 
so that every Wednesday is a win. And this is our baseline. So you, this, this, this soldier goes to get his treatments and he's in the middle of trying to recover. And you must've been an angel walking into his room and, and, and just, you don't care about the bacteria. You're there for the love. That's what I felt as you were saying that. Don't tell me, don't tell me not to touch somebody. My, my, my loving godly energy will invade his entire being and this will be a healing kind of a thing that's that's what I immediately saw and felt as you were describing that story so then you go and you start to float through that that hospital to visit these men all of who had been in your husband's charge no not all of the ones I originally went to go see uh, Lieutenant Quilty because he worked with Matt okay but then we were able, we were given access to go visit other soldiers. And so we did. And we, I mean, I don't, it's hard for me to even imagine now. I feel like I'm talking about a different person. Like I'm talking about a character in a movie that I saw, but it was me. Yeah. Um, And we, we did, we went and we just, some of them were lucid. Some of them were really aware of what was going on to the extent they're like, I'm going to recover and I'm going back. I mean, the, the spirit and the willpower was amazing. And then you, sometimes you're, le- and not to be completely graphic, but you're looking at someone who's lost both of his legs and he's like, I'm going back. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Yep. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to be the one to tell you you're not going back. Okay. They don't let those guys go back, do they? I think in some instances there were, I don't have any of the statistics or data. Okay. So I don't want to, I, I would be irresponsible if I said, right. You know, these anything. soldiers are amazing. Military are amazing. I don't know where they get that, that whole fortitude from. I mean, I thought during the Vietnam war, I should become a nurse and go work in a mash unit before mash was on TV, you know, or a movie yeah. or anything. But I just thought, that, you know, I, I need to go take care of people. I was a kid. You know, as a teenager, and then when when I thought about the graphics of it and talked to my dad about World War Two, I thought, Daddy, how did you do World War Two and do what you did? I mean, it was just too much. So the courage of these of these guys that you're talking about is just unbelievable. And you're in fear, and you're trying to work through your fear by going out and reaching people and touching people. Yeah. Good yeah, grief. Absolutely. And I, the way that I always think about it, it's like we live near the beach, and so the, I use the water as an analogy a lot. And it's like when this, when, when you're standing there and you're on the beach and you know you have to get through the wave, you're like, I can either be smashed on the beach by the wave, I can bob up through it and hope I get through the other side, or you just go and you dive in and, and you're like, I, I don't know what's on the other side, but I'm diving through. And that's what I did. I feel like there was this huge wave of fear and I knew that I had options and how I was going to, I could either be smashed on the beach, try to ride it out or just dive through it. And again, I'm not really sure what, why my brain is what wired the way that it is. But well, I, it's, survival and it seemed like the only thing that you could do and there was a part of you I'm an adventure uh, uh, I guess understanding human behavior that in in your mind you were hoping that if anything happened to Matt you would be ready you would be practiced you would be walking into familiar terrain yes 
Yeah. And I would, I mean, in addition to being depressed and angry and sad, I mean, I was very angry. I was extremely angry too. I mean, that sure. was in the most that I found out I was angry with the government. I was angry with the situation. I didn't, I didn't understand that I, you know, it, I think sometimes as army wives, we we're sort of lumped in like as a collective and yeah. That may or may not be true. In my case, it was not true. I I, I, I was very anti um, what was going on, and so it, it was just it was it was so many it was so many emotions for me. And I think that my initial visit to Walter Reed really helped clear a lot of that away. And then I ended up because compassion came forward. And by the yeah. way, what you just described, Tori, is very much a reflection of where we all find ourselves right now. Because yeah, that's why I want to say that. Yeah, there's there's a war going on in terms of, of a virus. There's a war going on in terms of a social unrest. And 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 we're here to talk about the social psychology of what all this means. Uh, for everybody who's in our listening audience at any point in time because it's about humanity. It's about what we as human beings face. And so what you're describing with anger, it's like, I'm helpless. When you're, when you're talking about being depressed, it's like, I don't know where hope comes from. And you're, and you're talking about the analogy of the beach and the water. I do the same thing, you know, coming from Chicago and Lake Michigan. And and I read the water like a barometer as well. Um, we all have something in nature that can speak to us, trees, whatever it is. The, the fact that you are such a survivor, your, your love of yourself, your family, your husband, your child, you wanted to find a way to recover from fear epidemic that was sweeping over you by taking that loving, compassionate action. Absolutely. I, I think I, one of the things that's been really interesting to me as we're going through these strange days yeah. is I sometimes wonder, I'm like, did I go through that and survive it? As and When I say survive it, I, I mean, I was going to survive it as long as I wasn't run over by a bus. But, right. Um, but I felt that I did come out. I used to say to people, I would not have wished that deployment on my worst enemy right but it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me yeah because the growth that I did right and I now I'm thinking as we're in these strange days and not that not to to sound like I have hubris or anything but I, I keep thinking I'm like did I go through that so that I could perhaps help be a catalyst or um you know I we need to have a healthy transformation right now. Yeah. And I don't know that there are a lot of people who are able to articulate that they've been through scary times before and they survived, uh, at least not on such a grand scale, or they're not coming forward. And I and I think that you reaching out to me and saying we need to have this conversation, I think is was really what was meant to happen. Oh, I knew what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> So you didn't, I'm going to tell you something. You didn't just survive all that. You thrived through that. And you didn't just thrive through it. You really, 
you you have lived through something and absolutely you and I are people of deep faith. Your husband Matt is a person of deep faith. And the three of us believe that everything that happens is is a is an opportunity to take it, to look at it, to to replace fear with hope, with not with hope, with faith. You know, I used to say with hope. And my my clergy has enlightened me that it's way beyond hope. When you have faith, faith is such a core. It, it, it's it's right here, you know, right under your sternum, right in the middle of your body. It is your entire mind, your entire being. And that faith, like you, you describe, it carries you. You you describe, you know, like floating into that that hospital. That was that was your angelic presence as you were wafting through to do something. I'm going to say to you, absolutely magnanimous and magnificent as you were filled with love. And that's the breakthrough for fear. I I think there's, there there are a lot of similarities between what's going on now and the experience that I had. And I, stumbled across this phrase fear porn and I looked it up in the urban dictionary and it just talks about how the media is creating fear and it's and it's like pornography in that we can't stop looking at it. Right. And one of the things that I did when Matt was in Iraq and I did this even before he left was I completely shut off the news. Okay. And we didn't have as much social media back then. I, I think No we did not yeah. I mean, this wasn't so hard to believe that was in 2006 and 2007, but there, it wasn't it wasn't as prevalent as 24-hour bombardment of opinion and editorial. Right. And I use those words specifically, opinion and editorial. It wasn't it wasn't necessarily just facts. At the time in 2006 and 2007, I made the decision that I was going to turn off the news. I was going to stop. Anytime I was I was in my car and the radio started telling news about what was going on in Afghanistan Iraq, I would change the channel. I just thought I can't I can't listen to the five thousand foot view right now. I don't even want, I'm like I have to focus on like the one yard view. And at that time, my one yard view, yeah. my one foot view, my one inch view was our daughter, our dog, and our cat, and then me. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? And then my really good friends, and I just, it was like, you just have to take one step in front of the other. We have a really good friend named Allison Levine, who has uh, climbed Mount Everest twice, and she summited. Oh, Oh, my gosh. Total underachiever. Whoa, wow. Yeah, one of the things that she talks about that always resonated with me happens when you get, when you start getting closer to the summit. Uh, of Mount Everest, because there's so little oxygen, every step that you take is very difficult. Right? Yes. And it's like <clears throat> vertical, like this. Right, right. So it's, you know, you're like, oh, I've only got 20, you know, 200. I can't remember if it's 20 or 200. It doesn't matter. Um, every step that you take is very labor, but you just put one foot in front of the other and you know that your team is there and you know that you have this support system that we're all going to go we're all going through this together and 
that I always thought, I'm like, this is another analogy. And like, I use the ocean because I'm an ocean person. Some people like mountains and climbing a mountain. We, we can do this. We need to rock there with us one of these times. Yeah. I mean, seriously, happen. because, because that's absolutely right. And, and where we're at right now, the analogy overall that runs through my mind is we're breathless. You know, I mean, we're just trying to take that next step and just, have faith and keep going. So, so for how many months did you keep going to the hospital or for how many days or whatever, what was that like? So I, I don't remember exactly, but I think I made seven or eight trips to yeah. different groups of, of wives. Uh, they, I, my, my family lived on the Eastern shore of Maryland and they were fantastic. And I would call them up and say, Hey, I've got, like three or four other women who want to come with me to Walter Reed. So they didn't have to pay for a hotel. We would all, we would all get in the car. Uh, Watertown down to the Eastern shore of Maryland was about a six hour drive. So we'd just, we'd get in the car. We had a free, free place to stay uh, at my mom and my stepfather's house on the Eastern shore. They were gracious. They would always like, they would take us out to dinner one night and my mom would always make us a meal one night. And then we would drive back. But in, in the middle would be these visits to Walter Reed and to see people. And it was very healing and, and just so many epiphanies for lack of a better word. I it just, I remember driving over the Bay bridge of the Chesapeake Bay and the, again, like water for me is a big, is a, is a, is a very big element right. in my life. Sure. Looking at the water and it just was very crystal clear. And I was like, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know why I'm doing it, but I just knew I was like, okay, you're, you, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Right. And it did, it was, it was, it was extraordinarily healing for me. And you would think going to the hospital and seeing human beings who had been very right. badly injured, right. Um, would not be uplifting. It was the opposite. It was, it was, it was just like the sun coming up the clouds parting, all of those silly things that you hear about. But that is what it was. Like when my eyes opened up and I thought, I will get through this. I will get through this. And I don't know how I'm going to get through it, but I knew that I would. And yeah, these guys are getting through it. I'm bearing witness to this. So this went on for like, you said Matt was gone for 15 months. Those seven about visits were stretched over the course of that time. Yeah. <clears throat> so why the three month delay on his return? Cause talk about fear. Yeah. You know, a year is long enough and then it's extended for another three months. Yeah. So it's funny cause Matt and I were talking about this this morning. One of the things that uh, my uh, other friends and I bought were, were a deployment countdown clock. So every day it was like a hundred more days, you know, hundred, you know, however many days were left. So I be counting down the days until he was coming home. And so somebody invented a deployment countdown clock. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And the, uh, at the time in 2007, uh, we were, uh, we had the, uh, the time president Bush was the president and he decided he really wanted to make a big impact. And so it was called, uh, technically, I think it was called the surge. And we ended up sending uh, other, a lot more battalions of soldiers 
and really trying to topple what was going on in Iraq. And we can talk about that another time, the politics. It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter for us. No. And so one of the one of the many solutions to the surge was to keep who the troops who were already on the ground to extend their deployments by 90 days. I see. So that was that was the reason that it was extended for 90 days was because if you, I mean you can look it up. No, I understand. I was just setting right. Okay. And that was and one of the things Matt and I were talking about this morning. I said the hard part about what's going on right now is that they keep moving, whoever they is, they keep moving the goal line. So I can't even have, like... We don't get a deployment countdown clock. <laughs> right. We I I would kind of like to have the deployment countdown clock. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's... I think that, unfortunately, you know, we're passing around bad information... And I will be the first to say that I've been in the front of the line. I'm sure that I've passed around erroneous, false, not completely true information in an effort to think that I'm being helpful. Uh, but I think that part of my desire for this end fear porn campaign is really that we need to pull back and we need to understand that there is like there are concentric circles of news. Um, so, like, in the middle, you've got what I call dirty laundry news. Um, I'm not going to use that other word because I think it has a political connotation. But in my my definition of dirty laundry news is basically it's not true at all. Okay. Nothing, okay. It's, it's, it's just it's not true at all. The next one is sort of the propaganda circle. And the one outside of that um, is, like, an ideological editorial. Now, okay. the propaganda and the editorial – they're not necessarily wrong, but they have opinions built into them. Mm-hmm. But based on the bias of the outlet, the writer, whomever. And so we have to, in my opinion, in order to understand what's really going on, is you have to question what you're reading and, and, and pull back before you say, oh, my gosh fill in the blank just happened or, Oh my gosh, a staggering number of this happened. Right. You know, so really, and I think one, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, you, go ahead. I was listening to your conversation with Dr. Charlie Cartwright that you had. Okay. And one of the things you had talked about was the power of words. And when you talk about skyrocketing and staggering and this, I'm like, what constitutes skyrocketing and staggering? And like the way that we are manipulating words, what, what is a pandemic versus an epidemic versus just this is happening? We and and I'm I'm not here because like again I don't know enough I know enough to be dangerous and I feel like it would be irresponsible for me to well take all that away take all that away because what we're talking about what you're describing right now is in a very passion filled way is a concern about how it is we get information. What you and I, in part, are here to do is to say the very first thing that you have to do is get up and do a self-scan. Yeah. When you awaken in the morning, start with a self-scan. Then take a look around your, your home and your loved ones and your neighborhood and the blue sky and put your hands together however you do and say thank you, God, or thank you, Mother Earth, or Father Time, or whatever it is that you give your 
your faith to in terms of a guiding force. And and the the thing that's that's disturbing to me, Tori, in the midst of everything that that you're describing is it runs through my mind that when I was coming up through grade school and high school, the theme in education was we needed to be taught critical thinking skills. Oh yeah. And so right now we're not we're not seeing we're not bearing witness to critical thinking skills. We're bearing witness to a tremendous amount of of irrational emotionality. And and what you're describing in in this Again, I mean, I I can't I, I just love you dearly, and I can't imagine the pain and the sadness and the fear and the anger that you went through, waiting for your husband to come home, doing the countdown on twelve months, having it extended another three months, and then hearing what it was that he was experiencing during those extra three months, and when he when he came home, you had done all this preparation. So was that, was his arrival back home, was that the culmination of I can get through anything and this man has returned? Uh, there, wasn't a, there wasn't another event that happened that actually really pushed me to understand the strength that I had. Okay. And it's a sad story. And I'm, I, I really want to, be uplifting and, and want okay. the audience to well, see when they leave this, but yeah. in order to get there, I have to share this sad story. So one of Matt's best friends, uh, who was not in the Army, his name is Sean Dawkins, he was uh, one of Matt's fraternity brothers, and his father had been had fought in Vietnam, and Sean called me probably once a week, emailed me, checking in, he, so he was in the United States. He was, yes, he was in the okay. United States. Okay, all right. He, he, was, he was very supportive, and he was one of a handful of people who were like, you're going to get through this, and it's going to be okay. And I remember going through this as a child when my father was deployed to Vietnam, and you're going to get through this, and I'm here for you. And What a and, great resource. Yeah, and he was fantastic. And they weren't long conversations, but he – and I uh, went to Fort Drum one day for a meeting – and I came back, my, my parents-in-law were staying with me, and they had they were watching, helping me with Molly, our daughter. And a friend, another fraternity brother of Matt's called me, and he had left the message when we all had, um, what were they, voicemail boxes? Yeah, answering <laughs> machines. I, so I pressed, my, I pressed my, my recorder, and it was like this other fraternity brother had called and very seriously said, you know, Tori, please call me. Okay. So what happened? Yeah. Um, anyway, what happened was Sean um, had died of a heart attack the night before. Oh my. And he had he was eating pizza with his kids. He was 42 years old, and he thought he had heartburn. And he told his wife, "I'm going to go upstairs and lie down." We believe that the last person he ever emailed was Matt, mm-hmm. just based on the timeline of the email that Matt got from him and when he died. Okay. Which is also very interesting and you, you talk about your breath being taken away I, it, it's not happened to me other than when I fell out of a tree when I was a child I think all, all the times I fell off my horses like my breath was taken away but those were physical this was an emotional my breath was taken away and did you have to tell Matt? 
Unfortunately, no, I didn't have to tell him. I wanted to tell him, but one of, another fraternity brother got a hold of the information and sent out like a group email, and Matt was on it, and it, the, the subject line said, you know, Sean Dawkins has died. I was like, oh, this, why did you add Matt on this? Like, at least give me the opportunity to tell him. Yeah. So I, I ended up calling, because I wasn't allowed to talk to him on the phone, but I ended up calling a favor in, like, through the chain of command. And I said, please, please let me call him. And they did. Okay. They were great. They were great. And I talked to him, and he knew. And I just remember being like, this is so sad. Yeah. But yet it goes to show, we talked about this the other day, there's no guarantee. And if I had put both of these men on a piece of paper, Mm -hmm. he said, Matt is going to Iraq, to the Triangle of Death, and Sean is going to be in Louisville, Kentucky for the next 15 months. One of them will be dead within the next 15 months. No one would have picked Sean. Yeah. Yeah, because we don't get to pick. No. And and, and our anticipations can be so (laughs) off. So... You're, you know, one of the things I love about you, Tori, is that you're, you're so free floating, and 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 your love just infiltrates everywhere. Your compassion fills a room. You and I met in a in a mastermind that we would travel the country for, and 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 got to know one another's energy and presence there. So the tears that you shed right now. I experienced that as this flood of your emotions and thoughts and, and how just like when you came into that hospital room and you touched the soldier who had a bacteria, it didn't matter. You must have in that precious sacred phone call with Matt have just permeated those phone lines and enveloped him in your love. And the two of you had this amazing exchange. So that really tees up, the survival, the breaking through the fear, the bringing an end to the fear. And that's why it was so important for you and Matt to have that connection on the telephone. Yeah. And I think that, I think that is why when we're going through what we're going through right now, I'm very careful not to sound self-righteous, but there's so many people who are afraid right now and they're not living they're just surviving. They're well, that, not living. That's, they're, they're, not, that's not self-righteous. That's compassion and concern. Yeah. And, I, and I, it just it, it makes me concerned that there's so much fear porn being spread. And I, I really would like to start to be the architect of this healthy transformation. We have to live. Yeah. We can't just survive. Right. And I hear story after story after story of someone saying, I have a friend who hasn't left her house since March. I'm, I'm thinking, what are you doing? I know. I, I'll i tell you what. I do, too. And so we're here to. Yeah. When you move forward and backwards in these cameras, it adjusts the light. <laughs> we're just playing a big game with our audience here. Hi, everybody. <laughs> here we are. And there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. 
two talking heads. We're not moving at all. We don't want the light to stay the same. It's a very natural show. So, you know, people get used to the, the comedy of you can just watch us for a while. Um, you know, in the midst of this, you you have your husband come home. But, I mean, his story of what he had to go through and how he got through that is a whole nother episode. And the two of you come back together for this reunion. I mean, we can, we're going to be on here. Our, 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 our ambition friends is, is, is for Tori and I to spend every Wednesday together doing this. And, and let me tell you some of the whys. Okay. As we're, as we're talking through breaking through the fear and this epidemic of fear that we've got because of uncertainty, because of unrest, because of, and, you know, the list is long. We don't need to fire those negative neurons with all those reasons why. But when I called Tori, I said, look, I got this great idea. You know, I sent out this email to a bunch of my favorite people who, who, who I love their mind and their energy and their heart and their perspective. And, you know, we, you, you know, just like we're the, we're the, we're, we're the drink of, of cool water on a hot day, all of us collectively. And I said, you know, I, I'm getting a little weirded out here because, it's like, well, what day is it? But, you know, what am I supposed to do today? And I've, I'm, I've been self-employed. I'm a lifelong entrepreneur. So I'm always driving my schedule in my life. But now I know what day is it? What time is it? What are we supposed to do today? So I came up with this idea of keeping track of the days by giving every day a theme and then inviting people. Look, you know, I'm doing Soulfulness Sundays, which actually our friend Joy Martina, Joy and Roy Martina, Joy said to me, you need to be like doing – your spiritual stuff. I, I want to tune into your church on Sunday mornings. It's like, uh, you know, that's heinous to me. I'm a Catholic. I can't have my own church, you know. But my soulfulness, my love of God. So it started with Sunday, and then every every day of the week it's a theme. And 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 I'm thinking about Tori, and I'm thinking Wednesday wins or Thursday thankful, thankful Thursdays. It this has got to be. Although you could fit into any day, Freedom Fridays, you know. But Wednesday wins. You you were in the hump of the week for uh, fifteen months, and 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 Matt was right smack in the middle of Wednesday for I don't know for how long in those fifteen months, and it was it was tragedy, and it was also opportunity, yeah. and and right now the skill set that you bring from that experience and from the energy of you and Matt and the way that you've raised your daughter, Molly, I want us to bring that to our audience and say, look, you think that this part of the story is tough? You know, we'll do chapter three and 76 for you and, and give you the tidbits of what it is that this couple has gone through collectively and individually and the response of their daughter in this era and here's the good news, and here's the good news, and here's the strategy for the good news, because in our last, like, you know, 10 minutes on our episode today, because this hour flies by, <laughs> you know, I the point is really crystal clear that everybody wants to do a pivot, and nobody's sure which way to turn, and here's the real message, friends, just turn. Turn off the news. Step yes. away from the news. Now, I I have the news on in the background most days. 
sound off and I'll look up and I'll dial in because I want to know something. But I have backed off because I needed to pay attention to what I've said long before this. I know what the news is. The news is that the sun rose. The news is that I'm up and breathing and I'm moving and I'm not crippled. And there are people who are infirmed. There are people who died before they had an opportunity to wake up. There are people who are going through so many different things. And, And right now, collectively, as a planet and as a nation, there's there's sadness and there's agony and there's pain. This is funny because I did a not funny haha, it's intriguing. I did a Facebook live crying one Sunday morning. And you know about this episode and, and, and Facebook didn't cut me off. They cut you off at an hour. I went on for like two and a half, three hours. And people were just coming and coming and coming and coming. You know, we had like 85 people or something on this thread. And I brought a few people on camera. And what I did was start out with the camera on me and then turned it out to what I wanted everybody to see. And, and, And I transitioned it as I took people on a drive in my car and showed them devastation and then showed them nature and landmarks and and you know nature scenes again and and kept threading through everything faith and belief and this this human collective that we are in the way that we come together the way that we want to come together and um this is a beautiful energy that you and I share because when we were talking about when you accepted my invitation and got really excited about it and said, yeah, let's do this. Our children right now are so unhinged with the uncertainty of returning to school and how does that, how does that happen? What does that look like? They miss everybody. They can't wait to get back. And there's all these stops and stalls. And we right in this moment and the timing is perfect because it's back to school time right now. We need to be saying something different. And this was a big part of our conversation the other night. We need to be saying to people, okay, there's another way to do this, to make this really comfortable, to have the experience be rich. It's just that we have to rearrange the furniture in the living room. Nobody wants to do it. You're going to find dust. Everybody's going to get crabby. Nobody likes the vacuum cleaner. The dog barks. But if we don't do it, then we sit in a mess of frustration. And so that's part of where you and I are at right now is being very concerned about children. Now, our good friend Joy Martina is participating in this series too with sensuality and sensuousness, uh, is, which is part of the Saturday theme. And, and we're looking at talking about doing a self-scan. We're talking about let's turn on all of our senses and really dive into what is life. Because we can look at all the perimeter, but we need to really come in and and take that sadness and and all the fear factor and and pay really close attention to we're breathing. Yeah. I have an herb garden. I go over and I and I pet my herbs. I like the feel of them. I like the aroma of them, and it and it fills my mind. And it I might think about rosemary. Yes, 
Exactly. That's And you know what? It's a simple exercise and we can all do it. And so you're you're right smack in the middle of raising your daughter and, and having this life with your husband that there was a threat of never being able to resume. Everything that we've gone through, everything that all of our audience has gone through, we have to remember that. Every single person who's dialing into us, hearing us, watching us, we're all survivors. That's why we're here. So we have to take all the things that we've been talking about, the things that you've come through. What, What is the secret sauce of your survival and thriving? What is it? Because that's what we need to uplift our audience with in these last five minutes or so. What is it, Tori? Um, it's, it's actually, I wish that it was a magic silver bullet that I could say, oh, I take a lot of vitamins and minerals, and that's why I'm the way that I am. But it is, it's much like exercise. It's a muscle that we all have. But what I try to do is create space between my thoughts, especially when I feel that I'm getting anxious or angry or sad. Okay. Um, and it's, it's, even if you can do it for a nanosecond, just stop. I'm I'm creating a space between the thought that I just had, I'm going to stop right now. That's it. And the more you do that, the more opportunity that you have to separate yourself from what that thought is. Okay. So that's something that I do. I also, I also wake up every morning and before I like, I'll sit up in my bed and before my feet get on the floor, I always go through this little mantra of, I say, I am. Yeah. And I say, I have an abundance of joy. I have an abundance of love. Fill in the blank. I, usually pick three or four things that I that I start with I have an abundance of. Okay. And then and then I sort of just take a deep breath and then I open the, my curtains and I look at my outside my window and I go on my day. But I mean I do more than that but I think those are like sometimes we can, we can only spoon feed but I would definitely say that the biggest thing for me is, is creating space in between the thoughts, especially as we project and we have so much uncertainty. We don't know what is happening an hour from now. Never, but but we never have. Yeah. We never have, and we forget that that's a reality. There was yeah. a book that I read. Thank you for sharing that. There, there was a book that I read in high school that just annoyed the bejeez out of me. It was called Be Here Now. It's about an inch thick, and on the front cover, in a circle, the title, a million times, be here now, be here now, be here now, be here now. Turn the pages, be here now, in all different colors, all different fonts, all different directions. And I'm, and I'm thinking, well, what, what's the punchline in this book? It says the same thing right now. What, what's the storyline? I don't understand. Be here now, be here now. What's the point? And I said that to the person who gave me the book. I said, what, what did you give me this book here for? I mean, what am I supposed to do with it? Be here now. And I was like, oh, I'm going to throw the book across the room. I can't stand this. But it's so beautiful in its simplicity. Friends, if you are arising with us, put your feet on the floor and say, I'm grounded. And I have the ability to sit up. And I am. I am alive. I am 
seeing, I am hearing, I am feeling, I am tasting, i got to brush my teeth. <laughs> that rotten taste in your mouth is an invitation. <laughs> 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 For that cool minty relief, you know. And, 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 and to embrace all of that is the beauty of life, and it's the beauty of our show. It's what it is that we want to do. We are down to the last two minutes of our show today, Tori. Yeah, so I just had something that I wanted to share with everyone um, who may be interested in doing some fact-checking on their news sources. Um, There's a website um, called MediaBiasFactCheck.com. Okay. I'll say that again, MediaBiasFactCheck.com. And you can go in there. So, for instance, if you're not familiar with – if you're not familiar with the news source and you want to check out what their slant or their bias is, you can go on there and you can look it up. Excellent. So that would be another suggestion for me. So we are going to be back here next Wednesday. Same time, same channel. This will get blasted out onto social media. It'll get blasted out uh, today. All the replay. And, and, and we will start inviting people in advance so that they can join us while we're here. Tori, you're beautiful and lovely, heart, mind, and spirit, and everything about you, and I'm so grateful that you've agreed to do this with me. Thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. I am definitely, I, I feel like this is a journey that I, I, I clearly was meant to take, and I, I, if I can help one person not be afraid anymore, I, I feel that I've done my job. And it doesn't mean that you that I'm not afraid, but it's just creating that space between the fear and being like, what am I afraid of? If I can even ask myself that question. That's right. And go on. Well, I am pretty grandiose. So I'm saying we're going to impact millions of lives. And, and we are going to do exactly what we're doing here. We're going to keep talking. We're going to come back next Wednesday. We're going to bring you more stories and bring you more strategies. You are now in our listening audience, part of to end fear and instill faith and faith in humanity, faith in our creator, faith in what we can do that's good. This is today your host here, Dr. Deb Carlin with Tori Everstuke. Ducart, <laughs> Tori Ducart Eversman. Oh man, you got a name. Deb Carlin. <laughs> Three syllables versus 24. I love you dearly for being here. Thank you very much. Ta.